3: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. As we stand here today, one year since January 6, 2021, we are in a battle for the soul of America. A battle that by the grace of God and the goodness and gracious greatness of this nation, we will
0: win. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars,
4: but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. I remember
0: not knowing if I would make it out of our seat of democracy alive, or if our democracy itself would survive. But January 6th was also the day that we saved our democracy.
5: If instigating a mob against the government is considered permissible, if encouraging political violence becomes the norm, it will be open season on this grand democracy, this noble experiment.
6: On this episode of Newt's World, Americans were shocked and outraged to see chaos unfold at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. It shut down plans by some lawmakers to object to Congress's official certification of the 2020 presidential election results. Democrats, the news media, and some leading Republicans immediately blamed the roughly four-hour disturbance on President Trump. The president, quote, incited an insurrection, the American public was told. It prompted a second impeachment trial of Donald Trump after he left office. But one year later, the original narrative of what happened that day has crumbled while hundreds of Americans have been swept up in an unprecedented investigation led by President Joe Biden's Justice Department to punish them for their involvement in the January 6th protest. The public has been misled and flat out lied to about a number of aspects related to that day. And I frankly have a particular interest in all this because as a former Speaker of the House. I think Speaker Pelosi was very derelict in her own duties, which was to protect the Congress, the Capitol. And I think that there are a lot of really deeply unanswered questions, and so I was delighted to discover that Julie Kelly had written a new book, January 6th, How Democrats Used the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right, which exposes a great deal of what I've been puzzled by. So I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Julie Kelly. She's a political commentator and senior contributor to American Greatness. She has reported on the Russian collusion hoax, the government's destructive lockdown policies related to the pandemic, 2020 election fraud, and the January 6th protest. Thank you for joining me, Julie.
4: Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. Thank you for having me on.
6: You know, President Biden has called the events that took place on January 6th the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Yet one year later, there are more questions than answers on what really took place on January 6th. And so let me start at the beginning. Where were you on January 6th? And what did you think about what you saw? I was
4: actually at our place in Naples, Florida, delaying as long as I possibly could going back to suburban Chicago after the holidays. And so a couple of my friends who live down there came over and we were expecting to watch Trump's speech and see what was going to happen in Congress in terms of what you were just referring to, suggestions to delay certification in a few of the contested states and Ask for this 10 day audit that several senators and congressmen wanted. And so we were watching everything unfold. And at the same time, I was on Twitter. And I thought, okay, this looks a little raucous. This looks a little rowdy, what's happening. But I thought immediately that the hyperbole about what we were seeing did not match what was happening. I was not one of those people right away who was going along with, this is an insurrection. This is violent. President Trump needs to stop. I thought, well, this is a combination of factors, which is you've had people for over a year dealing with the pandemic, dealing with lockdowns, their children out of school. Then we had all the riots over the summer. And then you had what many millions of Americans believe was a stolen election. And so I thought, well, it it's justified then to see so many Americans acting out at Congress when they're going to officially certify what people believe to be a rigged election. And I guess, honestly, I was shocked at the over-dramatization of what was happening. And so I even made a little joke on Twitter that night that the organic shaman, the guy with the horns who was in the Senate chamber, I tweeted, well, he couldn't do a worse job than the people we have there now. So that's really was my vantage point from the very beginning. And to be honest, it didn't look like something organic. It looked like, to me, somebody who's followed the Russia collusion hoax. This just didn't seem like something Trump supporters would do. And so I think my tentacles were up right away. And I think that that's what guided some of my reporting.
6: Clearly, it's not an insurrection. The most you could say is that this was a mob, but there was no serious effort or no serious possibility that they were going to, in any serious way, lead an insurrection against the American government. The other thing I was struck by, though, was that after all the news media hype, the only person actually killed was a woman who was a reservist, and she was not armed. And yet, they almost immediately exonerated the officer who had killed her, although she, at the time, was not a threat to anybody. And I just began to have this sense of, that this was all being handled in a very weird way. So when you began digging into this, what did you discover? And just to touch on what you
4: just said about Ashley Babbitt, I think her killing that day internally is a very overlooked aspect of what set a lot of the protesters off. So we can talk a little bit about the police misconduct and, in some cases, outright brutality that D.C. and Capitol Police unleashed on peaceful protesters. The killing of Ashley Babbitt by a police officer, the handling of her body as they saw how she was dragged out by officers, that incited a lot of the confrontations that you saw later between protesters and police. So it wasn't just that she was shot. She allegedly posed a threat. The people who were there, the people who saw what happened to her, that really inflamed their emotions. There are four people who died on January 6th. Ashley Babbitt, Roseanne Boyland, Kevin Greeson and Benjamin Phillips. Four people, four Trump supporters died. Ashley Babbitt was killed by a police officer. It's very likely that Roseanne Boyland was also killed by a police officer. There's a video that shows Kevin Greeson, who suffered a heart attack after police threw a flashbang in his direction So these are the stories that my book covers, the stories that have not been told and that, of course, the media is completely covering up. What the people on the ground saw that day is far different than the story that is being told and certainly the general narrative that's promoted by the media.
6: Well, and you have this extraordinary reaction with what over 700 people have been charged by the Justice Department.
4: That's correct. And Merrick Garland gave a press conference on Wednesday. He's bragging about all the prosecutions. He's lying about the number of police officers. He actually said five police officers died, including Brian Sicknick, which was one of the early animating myths of January 6th, that Brian Sicknick, first of all, was bludgeoned by a fire extinguisher, which ended up being not true. The New York Times, who first reported that, had to retract it. And then these suicides later, all somehow have been attributed to January 6th. So you just had the U.S. Attorney General, the top lawyer in the country, stand before the American people and lie once again that Brian Sicknick and four other police officers who allegedly committed suicide, all did that because of what happened on January 6th. So the Brian Sicknick story though, was one of the first lies. That actually I covered right from the beginning because it was suspect, number one, it was in the New York Times, and number two, it was sourced to anonymous law enforcement officials. So, of course, they had to retract that. So Merrick Garland is bragging about 700 Americans who have been charged in this, most of them charged with misdemeanors, such as parading in the Capitol. Um, You have more than 200 people who have been charged with something called obstruction of an official proceeding, which is really a technicality obstruction charge that was passed in the post-Enron era. It never was intended to be applied to political protesters. In fact, when George W. Bush signed it into law, He specifically said this is not to be applied to political protests. This is not something to interfere with people's First Amendment rights. But, of course, the Garland Justice Department is completely violating that. You have about 120 people charged with attacking or assaulting police officers, about 70 who have been charged with some sort of weapons violation. But the overwhelming majority have been charged with misdemeanors. And I think it's important to say Not one American has been charged with insurrection or sedition, which is, of course, what we were told from the beginning and what a lot of people thought most people would be charged with, and certainly Donald Trump would be charged with that.
6: So I'm curious, the ones who've been charged with a misdemeanor, haven't they already served more time in jail than you would have served for a misdemeanor? Not
4: necessarily. People who are detained right now, the political prisoners, which they are, right now they're about roughly 83 men who have been held behind bars under pre-trial detention orders that have been sought by Merrick Garland's Justice Department and signed off on by federal judges now they do face an assortment of misdemeanors but everyone who has been detained faces some sort of felony charge including the obstruction charge but there are numerous detainees who do not face any violent Charges. They are not accused of attacking police. They're not accused of carrying a weapon or destroying property. These are people who are tied to the alleged militia groups, the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers, charged with conspiracy. Still, again, not charged with anything violent, but nonetheless kept behind bars, denied bail for most of last year, and still waiting as their trials are delayed into the middle and even late next year. So it's the process that is the punishment. But these misdemeanor charges, I will say, federal judges in D.C. are sentencing people who are pleading guilty to Class B misdemeanors, which the chief judge said they never deal with in this court. And judges are sentencing these people to 30, 60, 90 days in jail for something called parading in the Capitol.
6: But how long have they been in jail prior to being assigned 30, 60, or 90 days? Well, those
4: people have not been. They were not detained. Some of them have been on some sort of home detention monitoring. But those people who pleaded guilty just to the misdemeanor charge were not detained awaiting trial.
3: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
6: What happened to some people who apparently show up on the videos but have not been arrested? I mean, I guess the most famous one is Ray Ebbs, who seems to be sort of in his own class in terms of the FBI having avoided arresting him.
4: So I want to touch on what you said at the beginning, and that is this prevailing question as to why Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser rejected offers of additional security. And this would include Donald Trump offering, I believe, 10,000 National Guardsmen to help protect the Capitol or just protect what was going on that day. Of course, as you know, people who showed up in Washington, D.C., the hundreds of thousands who showed up to support the president on January 6th, many of them had been to previous Stop the Steal rallies in D.C., In November and December. And Trump supporters were attacked. They were assaulted. I'm sure you recall and your listeners recall seeing people who were assaulted by BLM and Antifa activists as they were leaving these rallies. And so the president and others, and people who actually brought things like pepper spray or some sort of device to protect themselves, thought that Antifa and BLM would be attacking them once again. And so as they were going to the Capitol, and this is the result of some of these weapons charges, but the reason why the extra security was rejected, in my view, is because the D.C. Metro and Capitol Police already had their marching orders, which was to dress in full riot gear, head to toe, and start attacking the crowd early on. And this is when you saw police officers throwing flashbangs. You see Capitol Police with pepper ball guns. So this is a gun that you put pepper balls in that emits pepper gas when it hits the ground. D.C. Metro Police use something called sting balls, which when it hits the ground, it releases rubber bullets. So that's why you saw protesters who were bleeding standing outside of the Capitol building. So they had their marching orders, which was to attack this crowd and provoke a lot of the confrontations that you saw between police and protesters. So you can see the crowd actually turning on police. In some examples, police are beating protesters. There's one clip where several D.C. Metro police officers tackle a man and start beating him up right outside of the Capitol building. And so if you had had National Guardsmen there, of course, they would have looked at these officers and said, what are you doing You can't beat up people standing on Capitol grounds. You can't douse them with chemical spray. You can't throw flashbangs at them, this deafening explosive device. These are people outside the building. They're not even trying to get inside. So that is why, in my opinion, they did not want extra security. Also, you had hundreds of federal agents which we now know confirmed by the Newsweek bombshell that was posted on Monday. And that is contrary to what we have been told by Christopher Ray. The FBI had at least a half a dozen elite forces stationed at Quantico on January 2nd and 3rd, ready to, quote unquote, defend the Capitol. But they deployed those agents, these elite agents, Newsweek calls them shadowy commandos. They deployed these people to the Capitol early on January 6th. And so who were those people? Who were these undercover FBI agents, these elite forces that contrary to what Christopher Ray says, oh, they were caught flat footed. They weren't prepared for the violence that day. Well, it's looking more and more like not only they weren't prepared, they did over-prepare and probably instigated and provoked a lot of what happened because you brought up Ray Epps. The question now is not so much who's been charged, but who hasn't been charged. So Ray Epps is the man who is seen several times encouraging people to go into the Capitol building. He has not been charged. It's almost a year later. Stuart Rhodes, who is the founder of the Oath Keepers, he is person one in every single indictment for the Oath Keepers. This is now a 20-defendant, wide-ranging conspiracy case. He is person one. He still has not been charged now a year later with any crime. And so these are the sort of questions that really start to fuel, I think, justified speculation that the government was far more involved in what happened on January 6th than the public believes and certainly was led to believe.
6: I gather that there's zero cooperation in explaining what's going on. I did a press conference with House Republicans who talked about the number of letters that don't get answered, both in the Capitol, where neither Speaker Pelosi's office nor the House administration have been willing to cooperate, but also the Justice Department, which has refused to cooperate. So we really don't know why some of these people have not been arrested, and at the same time, as I understand it, there are like 14,000 hours of closed-circuit TV footage that is being held by the Justice Department and the Capitol Police that they refused to release.
4: That's right. U.S. Capitol Police monitors a very extensive camera system inside and outside every building and, of course, the Capitol grounds. That security system captured 14,000 hours of footage between the hours of noon and eight o'clock on January 6th. Every slice, every minute of that footage is under protective orders. The Justice Department has designated that trove of footage as highly sensitive government material, basically classified material, that they do not want the public to see. Now, Here's the question. If this indeed is the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War, as Joe Biden says, comparable or worse than 9-11, the Oklahoma City bombing, don't the American people deserve to see all of that footage, see what transpired starting at noon that day, who was already on the grounds, how these alleged police barriers were breached? who the agents were, who started the ruckus, what happened inside the building. They do not want the public to see any of this. I'm talking even 30-second clips that are under protective orders that defense attorneys have to go to court and ask to be unsealed. So some of that footage, though, is starting to drip out. And what we have seen is a 30-minute segment of footage from between 2.30 and 3 o'clock that day where at least five or six Capitol Police officers stood by as more than 300 people entered the building on the Senate side. They stood there. They talked to protesters. They did not try to shut the door. They did not try to prevent anyone from getting in. So anyone who says Capitol Police did not let people in, that's not true. More terrifying is footage from inside an entrance tunnel on the west side of the Capitol building, where DC Metro Police and Capitol Police brutalized and attacked, including defenseless women, one woman who I spoke with, Victoria White, were beating them with batons, punching them in their face, stomping on them, dousing them with chemical spray. This is the location where Roseanne Boyland, thirty four year old woman from Georgia, died. The D.C. coroner said she died of a drug overdose. It's very clear from this footage that is now being released thanks to defense attorneys and even some news organizations who want to see it. We are getting a much broader grasp of what happened that day, specifically what police did. So there's a reason why they want this footage under wraps is because they don't want the public, they don't even want defense attorneys to see everything that happened.
6: I mean, this is the opposite of good policing. So why do you think they had instructions to be that brutal?
4: I think that they wanted to provoke, and we saw this with Merrick Garland's press conference. So they wanted to accuse Trump supporters of being cop killers. They wanted to show that despite all of the support that the president and Republicans had given police throughout 2020, that they really are attacking police officers. So these were the visuals that created the idea that this was a violent mob of insurrectionists who went there armed and attacked police officers to get into the building so they could get to Mike Pence or get to other lawmakers. There's no other reason why these officers should have been armed with these explosive devices and everything else that they used against the crowd. There was no justification, only to provoke and incite the crowd and then, create the sort of optics that has animated this narrative from the very beginning. And they've gotten away with it, because when I tell people this story, they know nothing about this.
6: No, no. And of course, the propaganda media of the left has no interest in actually getting to the truth of this, because it would violate the narrative that they passionately believe in. One of the things that was odd is the two bomb threats at the Republican and Democratic National Committees, which presumably were designed to draw law enforcement away from the Capitol. I mean, has anybody ever gotten to the bottom of that? And were there actually bombs?
4: No, no one has gotten to the bottom of that. And to your point, that was really the thing that prompted the first evacuations because, as you know, those buildings are located to the east of the Capitol building. So that led to evacuation of some of the buildings nearby. It really sort of lit the match of this is going to be a dangerous, deadly day. Now, allegedly those pipe bombs were planted on the evening of January 5th. That person, even though the FBI claims they have footage and they're offering a reward, that person has never been identified or charged. This makes no sense because the FBI has used every tool imaginable, including geofence warrants, where big tech companies, cell providers, are handing over every ounce of data that they have related to cell phone users within the entire city that day. So it makes no sense why the FBI has not tracked down this person. To your question, were they pipe bombs? I don't know. We've only seen photographs of it. They claim that the U.S. Capitol Police bomb squad detonated them and claim that the FBI has the evidence, the remains of these pipe bombs and are still investigating. So my joke is, well, maybe CrowdStrike has the pipe bombs because it sounds a lot like the DNC email server, doesn't it? Just sort of, oh, we have it, it's magically disappeared. But that is a question I get a lot. What happened to the pipe bomber? Well, was it a federal agent? Did they never exist? Was it a hoax? Was this part of the entire plan? We're not getting any answers from the FBI.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico
5: coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
6: There's been a remarkable difference between the House and Senate on responding to this. I noticed that the Senate actually produced a bipartisan report from two of its committees, making a whole series of security recommendations for the future. But it was done sort of calmly as a bipartisan effort and actually trying to understand what could have been improved that day. And the House has gone a totally different direction with this select committee, which doesn't seem to actually care about that day. It seems to be almost entirely a political operation. Are you surprised at how different the two responses are?
4: Well, no, I'm not surprised by what Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Benny Thompson, who is the chairman of the January 6th Select Committee, are doing. This is what they've done, as you know, for five years, trying to get Trump and his associates and anyone related to him. What I am shocked and dismayed at is the silence of Republicans in the Senate. In fact, you had one leading Republican senator today who referred to January 6th as a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol. Now, first of all, that's not true. And second of all, there are so many destructive and damaging things happening to Americans, even, as I said, these trespassers whose lives are being destroyed. If you're a U.S. Republican senator who has spoken out, hasn't said a word about political prisoners or about how this Justice Department Is abusing and weaponizing its powers, but yet refer today to January 6th as a violent terrorist attack. This is what we're getting from the Republicans in the Senate. On the flip side, there are a handful of Republican Congressmen and women who are speaking out about what's happening. But I really think overall the silence and in some cases complicity by Republican leaders in Washington is very shameful.
6: Why do you think that's happening?
4: I think they're cowards to be honest. I think they're afraid that they are going to be tied to alleged domestic terrorists or insurrectionists. I don't think that they know what's happening. I really don't. I don't think they could tell you the name of one person who's been prosecuted or charged. I think they're afraid to speak out for political prisoners, even those who are charged with attacking police officers. Okay, well, you don't have to agree with the behavior, but we still do have due process and the presumption of innocence, especially for people who have no criminal record. And we clearly have a glaring double standard of justice for people who protested for a few hours, in some cases got violent on January 6th versus what we saw for weeks in the summer of 2020. And so you really don't see any Republican leaders taking that head on, certainly not in the Senate. And as I said, only a few in the House.
6: And the House Select Committee, it seems to me, is the most blatantly political effort to smear a party and smear a former president and do whatever is necessary in almost total violation of the constitutional principles. The kind of effort they're making has nothing to do with that day and everything to do with, I think, trying to find an excuse to criminalize President Trump.
4: Well, that's why I say when they're turning January 6th into a war on terror against the political right, it goes far beyond President Trump. I mean, you could see with these subpoenas, I mean, now they're going after Sean Hannity. They went after Steve Bannon. They're going after podcasters. They're going after women who helped organize the rally, the president's speech that day. They're going after the entire... Republican ecosystem, funders, lawmakers, influencers on social media, broadcasters. This is what they have wanted, as you know, for years. And they are using January 6th as the pretext to get all of that done.
6: You, in some ways, cut your teeth on things like the Russian hoax. Isn't it startling how consistently dishonest the left has been and how much they've gotten away with. And so it's almost like Lucy and the football in Charlie Brown. I mean, they totally lie about something, and then it blows up, and then they find something new to lie about, and it blows up. And I suspect with people like you beginning to do real research, this will gradually become one more example of the left just being totally dishonest. But when you think all the way back to your initial look at the Russian hoax, isn't there this weird pattern of the same people being methodically dishonest?
4: Yes. And the common denominator, as you know, is Adam Schiff. So you have a Democratic congressman who has openly, flagrantly, and intentionally lied to the American people now for nearly five years. He lied repeatedly that there was evidence of collusion. There was not. He never paid any price for that. Then he pivoted directly to impeachment. So he held the House Intelligence Committee hearings with the intelligence community. That was a setup about the quid pro quo phone call between Trump and Zelensky. So he led that. And then, of course, now he is seated on the January 6th committee. So Adam Schiff is the common denominator, but he can get away with it because he never paid a price. He's not going to pay a price in the media. He's not going to pay a price within his own party. But when Republicans had the House you know who they opened up an ethics investigation into in 2017? This is a Republican-led House. They opened an ethics investigation into Devin Nunes, not Adam Schiff. Devin Nunes. So that is the sort of Republican leadership that infuriates the base and the rank and file. And what they see now are people who've gotten away with lying, who've gotten away with destructive investigations whether it was Robert Mueller's or Adam Schiff's impeachment, everything else that's transpired over the past five years. And now, because they've paid no price, they can subpoena whoever they want. They subpoena someone like Steve Bannon, who had nothing to do with January 6th. You have them getting information from Mark Meadows. I mean, this is such an overreach and such an intrusion. And now, are they going to subpoena Sean Hannity? I don't know. Are they going to subpoena all the Fox hosts who reached out to The president that day, are they going to subpoena Don Jr. and Ivanka? You know, we've seen this movie over and over, but they're getting away with it. The courts are letting them get away with it. The Justice Department is playing along. As soon as they get a criminal referral from Congress, they go ahead and slap the charges against these people. That's the difference, I guess. Now they have the DOJ. Democrats didn't have it, technically, for four years under Trump, but now you do. And so that's why it's a little bit more destructive in setting very dangerous precedents for the future, what this committee is doing, in conjunction with the DOJ, all of them working together.
6: And the committee itself is clearly just a creature of Nancy Pelosi. I mean, she would not even allow McCarthy and the Republicans to pick the people they wanted to have on the committee. So she picked two Pelosi Republicans. The the whole thing is, I think, an absurdity.
4: It is, and it's good to see some people fighting back. I believe this was Mark Meadows' attorney who outlined why the committee is illegitimate to begin with because it violated its own originating language, and that was the number of people on the committee and that the Republican leader would appoint people to that committee. So they're calling it illegitimate from the start. So I don't know what's going to happen in the courts. I'll tell you, the D.C. District Court watching them has been probably even more eye-opening experience, seeing how these federal judges go along with everything, and so they're not going to get any relief in the court, even from Trump judges. So it's unlikely that will get anywhere, but it is nice to see at least a little pushback to this illegitimate committee.
6: Well, and I suspect some of it will get appealed to the Supreme Court.
4: I believe the ruling that denied Trump his executive privilege protections of course, Joe Biden being the first president to deny his predecessor executive privilege protection. And that went to the D.C. District Court. And an Obama judge, Tanya Chutkin, ruled in favor of Joe Biden. That went to the then D.C. Circuit, the appellate court, basically. And they upheld Tanya Chutkin's ruling. So now it is before the Supreme Court. So we shall see what they do.
6: I'm curious, just as a side note, what do you think is Liz Cheney's thinking about all this given the background she had with her father and her mother and the degree to which she has a sophisticated understanding of power in Washington, why would she be going along with this stuff?
4: I think two reasons. One is to rehabilitate her family name. And you see that's working, because of course the same journalists who considered her father a war criminal and wanted him, you know, strung up at The Hague a decade or so ago, now are calling her the conscience of the Republican Party. So I think that's one. I think the other part is retaliation from the Cheney family for Donald Trump standing in front of the American people and being really the first Republican leader to confront George Bush and Dick Cheney for the Iraq War. That was one of the centerpieces of his 2016 campaign. When he stood on that debate stage, I believe it was in South Carolina, and looked directly at Jeb Bush and said that... That administration lied, that there were no weapons of mass destruction, and the Iraq War was a tragic mistake. And then he made other comments about Dick Cheney. I think that that is really stuck with them. And so this is her way, on behalf of her father and that administration, to retaliate. And I think that's what she's doing.
6: that's a very rational explanation. I think that's probably the best explanation I've heard and makes the most sense. Clearly, you've thought a lot about all these things. I think this is an important book. We are going to have your book posted on our show page so people can buy it. January 6th, How Democrats Used the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. And I want to thank you for joining us.
4: Well, thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. Thank you for having me on. I know we talked early about this several months ago. I appreciate your interest in helping to get the facts and the truth out there.
6: Thank you to my guest, Julie Kelly. You can get a link to buy her book, January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newsworld World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeart Media. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.